Acts chapter 17. You found your place? Say amen with me. All right. Let's look at verse number one. We'll read the first, uh, we'll read until I get done and we'll go from there. Now, when they had passed through, uh, and I had this figured out when I left the house. Now, when they had passed through Amphil, that over yonder and, uh, there, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and the, of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Verse 6. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus." And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. Let's pray once again, and then we'll give you the message tonight. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your blessings. God, we do thank you, Lord, for the breath that you've placed in us. Lord, for whatever reason, this week a statement from camp meeting came to my mind every single day. Lord, I remember out under the tent, Brother Ryan Goins was preaching, and he quoted, I believe it was Brother Oliver B. Green, and he was reading the Scripture, Praise ye the Lord, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And Brother Ryan quoted the old man of God, Brother Green, and said that that means if you're not going to praise the Lord, just drop dead. And God, my heart has been weary It has been bothered this week, but Father, I'm glad that you are worthy of our praise. And God, I've not felt like it, but I still had breath, and so I was required by your scripture to praise you. And God, I know tonight, God, that there are weary bones sitting in these pews tonight, but Father, as long as there's breath in them, I pray that they would have the power in and of themselves to praise you. God, I've talked to several over the phone and Lord, we've, we've all kind of licked one another's wounds and we've come to the conclusion that there's sometimes that the words won't come out of our mouth. We just don't know what to pray. But I'm glad, Lord, that you know our hearts and I'm glad that that Holy Spirit can make intercession with the Lord for us. God, we praise you tonight for you are good. God, we praise you and we glorify you, God, because you are God. 
God, if it had been up to anybody else, Lord, we might have given in a long time ago. Lord, if we didn't have the Holy Ghost, we might have given it all up a long time ago. But Lord, I thank you. Lord, as I think on this week and the weeks prior, Lord, I think of the times, Lord, that my flesh wanted to say, I just give up. There's something in my spirit that wanted to keep pressing on. And Father, I praise you tonight for giving us that fire in our bones. And Lord, want us to stand against adversity. Want to be able to stand up against the wiles of Satan. Father, I thank you tonight that you've given us strength in our souls. God, I thank you for the joy that's within me. Lord, if joy had depended upon the circumstances, joy would have been depleted long ago. But Father, I stand before the people of God tonight with joy in my heart and praise in my lips, saying that joy unspeakable and full of glory, it is not dictated by the circumstances of this life. Oh, but Father, it is dictated by your riches in glory. And so God, I want to proudly say, I thank you and I love you tonight. We give you the glory. We give you the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turning the world upside down. Verse number 6 is our text. Our title is Turning the World Upside Down. You understand what has happened in this particular passage. I've read the beginning down through verse number 9. You understand that they are now preaching. Paul has been teaching in the synagogue for, I believe it says, for three, what does he say there? Three Sabbath days. Now, some smarter than I, they might be able to figure out maybe three Sabbath days in a row. I don't know, maybe so. But I, I, I kind of wonder maybe if there was three weeks in a row, Paul was in the, in the tabernacle, or rather in the synagogue there preaching. And he was, what was he preaching? Well, look at verse number three and verse number four. He was preaching Jesus Christ. He was preaching the scriptures of old that talked about Jesus Christ. And here they were, they were all gathered together, these believers from verse number four. It says, some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. Devout Greeks of great number believed and the chief women, not a few, they believed. So they were all gathered together. But when they came to look for them, they could not find them. So they only found the household, the the man of the house there, Jason, and uh, maybe a couple others. But they gave them this accusation, this uh, alleged accusation here. It says that they have turned the world upside down. Well, it's curious to me as you look in the first uh, verse number 5, it says that these fellows, these lewd fellows, they set the city on an uproar. Well, it's kind of the same thing that they were doing uh, for ungodly reason. They were setting the city uh, on edge and they were tearing everything up. But here were these men of God and they were trying to point folks to Christ. And they were on fire for the Lord. And they gave them the accusation that they have turned the world upside down. Now, very quickly, we understand that we as a church, 
We owe a great deal to this early church. They're the ones that quite literally paved the way for us. They, they, if you go back to my office and you get Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll find that many of those early, uh, disciples or apostles, those early believers, they were killed. They were martyred for their faith. And we don't, we don't deal with that in, in our, in our circles, I guess you might say. Uh, there's not a lot of people being put to death, at least in America, based on our belief in Jesus Christ or for telling about the Lord Jesus Christ. But it happened here. It happened throughout the book of Acts and even early or later in some of the gospels. But we owe a great deal because they evangelized the world. Understand now God in His sovereignty, He could have done whatever He wanted to outside of this early church. He could have given us a way and we could have, maybe Brother Kurt, we could have figured out another way to get to heaven outside of what is taught here. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not going off script, but I'm saying if it weren't for this particular plan, if it wasn't for Jesus coming to Bethlehem and being born, if it wasn't for him being killed in Jerusalem, if it wasn't for this particular plan and God wanted us to be saved, he could have done it any way he wanted to. But this is the way that he designed it. This is the way that he came. But because of that, these men, these disciples and apostles, they evangelized the world. They went everywhere preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. They preached His death, burial, and resurrection. In Matthew chapter number 28, Jesus gave them the great commission, and He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And so they were faithful to that message today. But my challenge to you is this evening is are you faithful to this, to this commandment, this great commission? Go ye therefore, go ye therefore. If you're reading it, you are the ye. You are the one he's speaking to. And uh, we understand that the challenges that they faced and what we faced are completely different uh, in this area. Of course, they were dealing with the Jews in Jerusalem, in those those Jewish uh, nations, those Jewish cities around their area. And today, we we don't necessarily uh, we don't face that particular problem. We not may not be trying to win Jews to Christ, but we ought to be trying to win someone to Christ. Can somebody help me tonight? Uh, I, I just very quickly, and these may not mean anything to you, uh, but Christians are an absolute minority in our nation. Uh, there's, uh, as of 2010, that's the latest study that I could find in 2010, uh, 31.5% of Americans, uh, or excuse me, of the world, not of America, but of the world say that they are Christian. Now we've established it. That may mean anything. That doesn't mean that they are born-again Christian, uh, but that just means they're not Buddhist or they're not Muslim, something along those lines. Now, conversely, though, the Muslim uh, population is about 23 and a quarter percent and rising. Two years ago, this number was about two points lower. It was in the 21% area. So uh, just in a matter of two years, uh, you understand that these numbers are rapidly changing. Uh, the Muslim 
population is rising while the Christian population is decreasing. Two years ago, again, now understand that today, as I plug these numbers in, it came from 2010. I don't remember where I got the the numbers a few years ago, but understand that in a two-year span, uh, there's a lot of decrease in the amount of Christian population. So with with that being said, I'm trying to paint a picture here of the fact that we need to turn the world upside down. Listen to this. There are people being born faster than they are being reborn. There's more people being born into this world than are being saved. Let me put that down in, in a matter. It's 7.02 right now. And so in the course of a 24-hour period all over the world, there are 385 children being born every day. That means every minute there are 267 people born. That means in the 32, 33 minutes that we uh, have been here, over 8,000 people have been born. And I wonder if we could find a statistic, how many people have been saved of those 8,000? I would venture to say very, very few, very, very few have been saved. Definitely not in that number. So I think it could be said if there's only 33.5% of Christians in America or in the world, then that, that stands to reason that there is, what is that, 77, 76, 77% of the world needs to know Christ. So 77% of our world needs to hear the gospel. We need to have what this early church had. I can put it in one word, fire. We need to have the fire that this early church had. I'm going to try to preach quickly tonight. I want you to notice, number one, these that turned the world upside down, they were on fire for Christ. If you look with me in chapter number 2, verse number 3, I believe it is, the Bible says, And there appeared unto them... Cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. We understand that this is the day of Pentecost, and here it says that there were cloven tongues of fire. Now, uh, sometimes our minds can play tricks on us. If I can boil this down to the most basic, uh, there were there were there was fire that was the Holy Ghost of God uh, sitting, whether figuratively, whether literally. You, I believe literally, because the Bible says it. I believe on every one in that room. I believe that the fire of God fell in that room and rested upon these individuals not only did it rest upon them but it did something in them it changed them what was in them had to come out it was at that point that they were 
on fire for God. Understand that the people that we're talking about is the people that slept around the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the people that sat at the the supper table with the Lord. This is the one that helped feed the 5,000 that carried the 12 baskets home to the little lad. This is the one that watched Jesus walk on water. And yet, here they are going one step further on this day of Pentecost and they are being touched by the promised Holy Ghost from back in John 14. It is now resting upon them and there is an evidence of the Holy Spirit working through them. You find, it says in verse number 4, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now just real quick, by a show of hands, do I need to go over what the tongues were? All right, I'm not going to waste your time with with that tonight. Understand just quickly, that wasn't no holly-baba-laba-laba. That wasn't none of that garbage. That was simply whatever tongue they could understand in, that's what God gave them utterance to speak. If you can speak Mexican, I'm sorry, if you can speak Spanish, then that's and, and that's the only language, then God would give them the language of Spanish to speak to you. If maybe they spoke English, but they heard in Spanish. I don't understand at all, but I I do know that it wasn't any of this other kind of charismatic garbage, but there was an effect, not only because of the feeling, not only because of the fruit of of the, the feeling when they began to speak, but the Bible says that the clear evidence of what, that they were on fire of the Holy Ghost is that the people were being saved. If you turn your page in chapter number 2, you'll find that there were people from uh, Parthian, uh, Medes, Elamites, and Judeans. Judea and Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, all of these people, they trusted in the message of Christ. And so they were not just out there speaking, they were not just having a get-together, but they were preaching Christ in the power of God, and the people began to listen. Understand that I know exactly where we are. We're in South Georgia, uh, here we are, we're, we're, we're right on the line of Plains and Americas, we're in Sumter County. We're at 817 U.S. Highway 280 West, Plains, Georgia, 31780. I understand that on this property, there will probably never, as far as humanity is concerned, there will probably never be 3,000 people under the sound of my voice. And quite honest, I'm okay with that because that would scare the fool out of me. But I do know this, uh, that no matter who it is, or whether they're living in high cotton, or whether there with with absolutely nothing. The Word of God is the only thing uh, that's going to reach their souls. Uh, whether they come in off the street, uh, whether they come in limping, uh, whether they come in with no clothes and no money in their pockets, or uh, whether they've got the finest that money can buy. I want you to know tonight, if we're going to turn the world upside down, we're going to have to be filled with the fire of the Holy Ghost. And the only true proof of that is preaching the Word of God and people being saved. Uh, missionaries said some time ago, I'm talking years ago, and I don't remember the missionary's name. I couldn't tell you. He said the proof of a Christian is another Christian. The proof of a Christian, the proof of your Christianity is another Christian. 
Now, that's hard to, that's hard to number. That's hard to understand because sometimes, Brother Stanley, oh, God may place someone on our heart. We may witness to them, but God has someone else, uh, in the harvest. We may win, we may plant a seed. Another may water. Another may pull that, that, that fruit off and they actually get saved. So I don't want you to, I don't want you to say, well, how many people have you led to the Lord today? Uh, that's, that's some, that's some Hiles Anderson stuff that liable to get you into trouble if you're not careful uh, because you'll be basing your salvation on words. Can about three people help me right there? Uh, But I do believe tonight uh, that if we're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost of God, it's going to have to come out somehow and it's going to come out uh, by the Word of God, but the result is going to be somebody's going to get saved. Somebody's going to have a seed planted in their heart. Somebody's going to have the word of God water in someone's heart. Somebody's going to go aside somewhere and they're going to see somebody that's, if I could say it like this, that they're ripe for the harvest and they're going to do what God's told them to do and give them Jesus out of the word of God and they're going to be able to bow and lead them to the Lord in prayer, whatever it may be. But I'm telling you tonight, if we're going to turn the world upside down, we're going to have to be on Fire. The world needs to see a church on fire. I'm going to give you three or four little statements here. You can write them down if you want to. But it is not enough to be doctrinally sound if we're sound asleep. You can know the Bible forwards and you can know it backwards. You can quote every verse. You can know every jot and every tittle. It's not enough to be doctrinally sound if you're sound asleep. Not only that, but it is not enough to be preaching, but we must be pleading. If we look over in the book of Luke, chapter number 14, verse 23, there was this supper. I preached about this uh, uh, Thursday at the nursing home. There was a supper. There was a husbandman there. And he says, I want to make a feast. And Mr. Servant, I want you to go and I want you to invite these three folks and their families. And they, the servant went and every single time he knocked on a door, how they denied the invitation, how they rejected it, and they made an excuse. How the servant came back to the master, told him what happened. He said, well, you go out into the highways and to the hedges, and he uses the word, and compel them to come. Listen, we can preach hellfire and brimstone all day long, but I believe there has to be a little bit of compassion in this thing. There has to be a come, come. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and a heavy laden. Uh, Jesus said, come. Hey, I want you to know tonight uh, that it is not just enough to preach. We've also got to plead. You know, we live in a society where everybody wants to be wanted. Everybody wants to be invited. If you're not invited somewhere, somebody gets upset and all this kind of stuff. We know that the gospel, we know that salvation is for every person, no matter who they are. But do you realize how simple what I'm about to say, Brother Jody, is so simple. There's some folks that they are ripe to be saved. They are ready to be saved. They don't even know it because they've never heard the gospel. But it could be if they hear it one time. That's all it's going to take. If they're invited one time, that's all it'll take. It's not enough to be Bible-believing We must be doing what the Bible says. We can come in here on Wednesday nights, and I'm glad you're here. 
We can come in for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night service, revivals, camp meetings, and this, that, and the other. And I'm glad that you do. But if this is the only Bible that you're getting, and you're not getting any Bible at home, then something's missing. Furthermore, if this is the only Bible living you're doing when you're sitting on a pew or singing or playing or preaching, and you're not living what the Word of God says out there, then, honey, something is wrong in your life. Not only that, but it's not enough to be fundamental. We must be on fire. Fundamental, it's quite simply, it's the basics. It's not basic. That's not what fundamental means. It's, it's, oh, you're just basic. No, but you are founded upon the basics. I believe, I believe Paul preached the basics. What did he say there in 1 Corinthians, maybe chapter 15? He talked about Jesus Christ, how he died, how he was buried, and how he rose again. It is not just enough to be fundamental. Church, we've got to be on fire. A man by the name of David Lawson, he said that we are so afraid of wildfire that we have settled for no fire at all. I'm going to say that one more time. We are so afraid of wildfire that we've settled for no fire at all. That's a sad state that many churches are in. What, what, what's, what's bad is there, there's no fire. And so they're trying to imitate it. And I don't want to get all on the contemporary side, but they're trying to imitate it with whatever they can find. That frog again. They're trying to imitate it. Instead of smoke, there's fog. Instead of fire from the Word of God, the Holy Ghost. You got the stage all lit up. I know that sounds trivial to, to some of y'all. I understand that. I ain't going to back down on it. Somebody help me right there. I'm going to stand on it. You can like it or lump it. It don't matter to me. Much as much wood as we have in this church, we don't need a fire, a physical fire in here. It's going to go up. But like Brother David Phillips said, if this platform starts smoking, it's on fire. Somebody called an ambulance or somebody's got some water with them. No fire at all. We've settled for no fire at all. Number Number two, we're still in chapter number two now. These men have turned the world upside down. I need to tell you this in our text. You don't have to turn back there, but chapter 17. I just I just said these men have turned the world upside down. But I need you to catch this. Verse number 4, the very last phrase. They're talking about these folks that are believing. And of the chief women, not a few. So ladies, guess what? You were part of the crowd. You were turning the world upside down too. And you can today. You can turn the world upside down. Don't misunderstand. So number two, they found true fellowship in Christ. Chapter number two, verse number 41. 
Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and received, uh, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. You can continue to read down to verse number 46. But notice what it says. We're talking about number two. They found true fellowship in Christ. They they continued in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. I, I'm, I'm just as guilty about it as anybody. But a lot of times, y'all think about it and you don't have to raise your hand. I'm doing it, but... You go out that door tonight and you get in your car tonight most of us are not going to see and or talk to one another until Sunday. Sunday night, see y'all later. Most of us are not going to talk to one another until Wednesday night. They continued in fellowship, in faith, in doctrine, in prayer, it was a daily thing, Brother Kerry. Me, me and you, we're, we're nearby neighbors. We don't hardly talk unless I need something from you or you need something from me or we come to church. I'm guilty. I got my family right there on the third pew. I don't talk to them. That's sad. Just in case somebody's listened to the recording, I don't talk to them not because I don't like them, but they're just across the way. I've talked to Brother John Smith more in the last couple of weeks than I've talked to him in a couple of months. And you know what? You want to know why? I'll tell you exactly why. Because Brother John has called to check on someone on me. He's called for a prayer request. Or he's called to praise the Lord. You know what that is? That's fellowship. That's fellowship. And these people here in this, in this early church, they were turning the world upside down because they found true fellowship in Christ. We were taking pictures yesterday. And the lady, she, she got a hold of Ashlyn and Braylon and, and she said, all right, I want y'all to, to, uh, kind of wrap your arms in one another and get real close and even put your cheek on the others. And you could see the sister love coming out saying, Ugh. but their blood. I've seen it in some of your children. They don't like one another until they get maybe a family of their own. But guess what we are? We're not just friends. We are brothers and we are sisters. How? In Christ. We ought to love, we ought to fellowship with one another. I'm going to skip some of this. Number three, they were fully surrendered to Christ. We're in chapter four now, verse number 18. And they called them and commanded them 
and not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Now you go back to get the context. You go back and you kind of see what's happening here. They they were arrested for preaching. People were being healed and they were all in trouble. But the reason that they turned the world upside down is because they were fully surrendered to Christ. He says, uh, I believe it's Peter said there in verse number 20, For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. We have no other choice. They said, Mr. Pharisee, sir, listen, whether we answer to you or to God, y'all figure that out. That's what he meant by judge ye. He said, but I can't do anything except tell you what I have seen and what I have heard. You know what he told him? He told him of maybe being down at the at the uh, Sea of Galilee and how there was this Nazarene came by and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Maybe somebody else in the crowd said, hey, Mr. Pharisee, listen, y'all can figure all that kind of stuff, but all I can do is tell you that I saw Peter. I saw the, how that he, he was, he was, I mean, he was rambunctious. He was rude. He was crude. He hardly ever wore clothes. He was out there fishing naked half the time. He didn't care who was around. He was just, he was just wicked. And then this Nazarene came by and then it's like there's a new Peter. He said, we can't tell you except for what we've heard and what we've seen. So guess what you ought to do? Tell what you have seen and what you have heard. You don't have to make it up. There's people all over the world trying to make up how, how what a change. Don't make it up. Maybe you were in jail. Maybe you were in prison. Maybe you were drunk when you got saved or right before you got saved. That's that's wonderful. You got saved. Maybe you were a little boy or a little girl when you got saved and you never drank liquor. You never smoked cigarettes. You never said a bad word. Praise God and hallelujah. Hey, I'm just... Tell people what God has done. These folks, they were fully surrendered to Christ and they said, we can't tell you anything else. But what God has done for us. There's too many folks trying to, they're trying to save their own lives. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, he gave that warning and I'm paraphrasing. He says, if you save your life, you'll lose it. There's a lot of folks that they are trying to, 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 to hold on to a piece of their life. Maybe they, they want to be successful in, in whatever job they're in and that's what they want to do and they're they're not going to give that up for anybody and they're holding that maybe maybe there's there's some other part maybe it's not success maybe it's something else and they're holding on to that maybe they have the perfect family mapped out in their in their minds but yet their perfect family is not the will of God it's not what what God wants for them but they're holding on to it. These folks, it didn't matter if it cost them financially. It didn't matter if it costed them physically. It didn't matter if it costed in, in, in their, their family. They were willing to give it up and go with God. 
It'd be, it'd be wonderful. Scripture talk, uh, scripture talks about the word in, in samples. In samples. A lot of times when we read through scriptures and we get to that, we change it to examples. But the word example or in sample, it means to be struck by a die or to make an impact. The only one I can think of that might have one on tonight is, is, I don't know. Y'all remember those leather belts that you used to get your name stamped in the back of them? You got one on, Eric? Yay. You were top on my list, but I didn't want to embarrass nobody. And I remember, man, that was a guy right down the road from, from where I worked and where I lived. And, and that's what he did. He did, he, he made belts. He made, he made all, anything leather. And I remember going in there one day and I'd watch him. And he'd put that die on there and he'd, he'd hammer it. It changed the landscape of the piece of leather, Nathan. Once he was all done and he had those designs in and had that place where your, your name was blocked out and it was in there and he poked the holes. He, he did everything, put the buckle on it. It was unique. It was something that the die had been struck in and it was different from everything else. Brother Eric, I, I, I've not looked at your belt. I would assume maybe if your name is on it, it's spelled E-R-I-K, right? See? Lord help. So it's got pace on the back of it. All right, there's probably other people that's got a leather belt with the name Pace on the back of it. But if that thing was handmade and it was hand-hammered, I guarantee you, you'll not find another one exactly like it in the entire world. Whether it be the slight movement of the position of the die, whether it be the, the pressure that the hammer struck the die, whether it be the shading, but Bobby, there's not a single other one like it. And the Bible says we ought to be examples. We ought to be unique. We ought to be proud of the impact that God had on us. I have to think back to, to Jacob. I've said this before, mentioned it just a few weeks ago. Jacob, you remember, he was blessed by God, but the proof of his blessing was that the angel touched the hollow of his thigh. And so the Bible says that he halted upon it the rest of his life. So he, he limped on it, Brother Jody. And everybody that came by, what's wrong with your hip? The Lord blessed me. He was impacted by God. So by definition, he was an example. This is what God can do. You mean God's going to hurt me? If need be. But God wants to, God wants to make an impact on your life. We need to surrender to God. Let's get a song of invitation tonight. We need to surrender to God. And I, I want to speak personally for a minute. I, I, I've got a list here. I want my time to be surrendered to God. I've been very transparent with this. There's sometimes that my mind, it gets so, 
so cumbered about with everything that sometimes I just have to turn everything off. Maybe it's a... Maybe, Brother Stanley, you and I were talking about a, a card game on the phone. Maybe it's pulling that card game up or maybe find the matching tiles, whatever that one's called. Maybe it's watching something on the television. I was watching a show on television the other night from 2018 about how they make bread in the UK. And I enjoyed it. What's that got to do with the price of rice in China? have no idea. But sometimes, but I need my time. I need my time to be surrendered to God. I need my communications to be surrendered to God. My appearance to be surrendered to God. How I present myself. My finances need to be surrendered to God. This is, this is not about tithing, but I can assure you tonight, the very first step of you surrendering your finances to God is giving to God. And if you're not tithing tonight, I would highly suggest you start tonight or Sunday. Ashlyn's been working since November. We told her two things. Well, really three things. You need to tithe, you need to give to missions, and you need to save. I could do without the saving, but Jody, as long as she was tithing and giving to missions. I want my finances to be submitted or surrendered to God. I want my direction. I want to make sure I'm going in the same path that God wants me to go. And then I want my family to be surrendered to God. Prayed years before, years before Braylon was born, a year or two before Ashlyn was born, Number one, that God would give us a child. But when Lori became pregnant, began to pray, God, I want you to save her as a young girl. Braylon, God, I want you to save her as a young girl. And I know, and I'm not being funny, but I know they're not perfect. But as far as I know in my heart, Samuel, they've both made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wasn't there the day that my wife got saved. I've heard her give her testimony. And I trust it. Because I've seen her life. I've seen what God has done in her life. I have seen God working in her and in my two daughters. I've not been perfect, Miss Denisha, but I was there when I got saved. I've fallen so many times, but I know what God did for me that day. So I guess you might say that we're kind of ahead of the curve a little bit. But I'm also not so naive to understand that maybe around the next curve, there may be a stumbling block for me for my wife or my children. So tonight when I say I want my family to be surrendered to God, it's not, okay, God, they're saved. Hands off. You do whatever you want. No, honey. It's every day and in every night prayer of mine. God, I want you to keep them. God, I want you to keep me. 
where we need to be. Our need for fire is a genuine one. Our need for fire is something that that needs to be acknowledged, not only in a setting like this, but in your own heart and in your own home. We need to have fire in the prayer closet. We need to have fire in the pulpit. We need to have fire in the pews. And if we can have fire in those three places, then guess what? When you go see the people, they'll be able to see a fire in you. You do understand tonight that if there's no fire in the pulpit, the people in the pew will know it. This is what I truly need you to understand. If there's no fire in the pews, the pulpit's going to know it. We can point fingers to the preacher all day long. Preacher needs to be studying. Preacher needs, and he does. My question, my challenge tonight is are you going to turn the world upside down? What if we stripped everyone away and you alone were left? Are you willing to answer the call to turn the world upside down? Over at this point, Probably, I'd say close to, probably 16,000 people have been born into the world since you and I have been here. And I realize they're infants, but they got a mama and they got a daddy. They will grow up to be little boys that needs the Lord and little girls. They will one day grow up to be mamas and daddies. Are you willing to turn the world upside down? down.